All right, let's hit up that Oklahoma Ford dealers hotline and welcome in uh, Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on the Blitz 1170. Derek, what's going on, man? How are you doing today? Oh, doing great. Got to ask you before we start talking a little football and the matchups there, your initial reaction from uh, the announcement yesterday about Bill Self and Curtis Townsend. I know that they've been off the road for a while now, uh, but what was your initial reaction when you saw the four-game self-imposed ban, for lack of a better word, uh, in the early portion of the season here for the Jayhawks? Yeah, this is pretty much it all stems with Kansas just trying to get a wrapped-up decision here. So uh, it's definitely a turn from uh, where things were at the beginning of the case when KU just fought tooth and nail and uh, did everything in their power to fight against the NCAA, now taking a a little bit more accountability from that side, which uh, certainly is interesting to see how the NCAA handles that. I I know it's with the IARP at this point, but – who knows what's going to happen there. You just, you know, right in your neck of the woods with Oklahoma State, you yep. saw what happened when they played along with the NCAA, and it didn't work so well. But you have a team like North Carolina who had some stuff that they fought tooth and nail, and it worked out. And now it's gotten to a point where KU just wins a title, and, you know, you don't have to worry as much about what's going to be the, the future punishment here because of the fact that we know we just had that title in our back pocket to kind of suffice and, and hold yourself over should there be sh- some punishment stuff so they're just they're ready for something to come down they're ready for a ruling to come down this case was in 2017 <laughs> and jeff goodman reported yesterday that uh the ncaa doesn't plan on making a decision on this till after the season so you're going to be looking at six years before they even make a decision on this stuff and, and that's what this was you, you look at the quotes from Travis Goff, the athletic director, and uh, Douglas Durad, the, the chancellor of the school, and they both kind of surfaced around, we look forward to you know, having a quick resolution or, or having something that comes down with this. So none of the, none of the punishment stuff that the KU self-imposed is uh, overly bad for them and, and going to hinder them as a program or whatnot. That's just what this all boils down to. They're just trying to get a resolution at a quicker rate. What's the overall feel? about what that resolution could ultimately look like by the time the season is over and we get into the summer months. Uh, I, you know, I've watched the documentary on HBO. I mean, a lot of that that the FBI did, they, they botched a lot of that. Uh, I don't know. It's the ultimate wild card, right, with what they could come down with. But is there is there any hope? Is there a silver lining at all, especially with what was kind of announced today for Louisville? Yeah, I think that was going to be the one that I was going to point to, the fact that they got off pretty scot-free um, to where, you know, you do wonder if by KU acknowledging certain things and self-imposing certain penalties, is that going to be taken by the NCAA or the IARP as, hey, you're admitting some sort of fault, so now we're going to drop the hammer? Or is it going to be something like with Louisville? You know, you heard them talking about we didn't want to punish uh, a lot of the current players who weren't around for, for those years. So I, I would assume that if there is some sort of more punishment, it's going to be centered around Again, maybe further suspensions for like Bill Self and, and Curtis Townsend. But at this point, I, I would be a little bit surprised if they did get a postseason ban at some point because, again, that would be something that, uh, based on the Louisville case, uh, wasn't really something that they were interested in doing. Now, you never know how it's all going to play out, but that, that's certainly the interesting part about all this that, um, like, you know, in court, they were deemed as a victim. And, you know, we can go back and forth about, well, realistically this and that happened so come on we, we think you know what happened there but that's kind of the the card that that KU has on their side that in federal court 
you know, you weren't deemed to be in trouble here, so why should the NCAA have more value than a federal court? Yeah, especially with a guy that's under oath that is basically saying, look, I was actively hiding stuff from Bill Self. I, 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 you know, I think that looms probably large in this. Uh, and I know more than anything, like just the exhaustion level with having to deal with six years of this nonsense, which is a joke that they, they even allow it to go this long, uh, has to be kind of just wearing on everyone. And then the final one, and uh, then we'll get to uh, football, is the word yesterday about the potential addition of Gonzaga into the conference uh, as a basketball-only uh, entry. Well, all sports, but since they don't play football, uh, just your initial thoughts on that and, and bolstering an already really kick-ass basketball league and adding a premier power to the league in Gonzaga. I, I guess I never looked at it as thinking, okay, they would do anything that's non-football related, but here we go. I have to admit, I, I really like the idea that Brett Yormark has. Yeah, I love it. Um, you're looking at it at this point, you know, if the Big 12, I guess you could make an argument, but uh, sitting as maybe the third best football conference and already was probably the best basketball conference. You had Gonzaga, too. You're looking back to, like, the old Big East days. And, yes, the geography would be a little bit weird, but we kind of know with, with the college, you know, conference realignment stuff, a lot of that has been thrown out the window. At the very least, you have BYU, who is a bit of a travel partner for Gonzaga. Who knows if you would go out and, and get some more West Coast teams with someone from the Pac-12 or, or other schools that are out there in, like, the Mountain West or whatnot to, to pair with them. I don't know how it would all work. Obviously, they don't have a football team and whatnot, but uh, I, I would love it. Uh, I, I saw uh, – I can't remember who pointed out that on, like, Ken Palm, which does the basketball analytics and metrics and site, uh, Houston obviously going to be coming over from the American athletic conference, if you were to have Gonzaga and Houston into the conference, you would literally have had the number one, number two, number three, and number four teams <laughs> from last season. So it, it would just be pretty remarkable. I'd be all for it. I'd be all for it. You know, steer into that, uh, be able to figure out any advantages you can get from that front. Now that you have seemingly solidified kind of overall as a conference and, and do have still some, some good opportunity with football with some of the schools coming in and the way that, uh, I guess Kansas here locally has kind of raised the floor of the bottom of the Big 12. Is the big question this week, as we're uh, talking with Derek Johnson here on the Blitz 1170, is the big question this week what we're going to see from both quarterback positions? Kind of the great unknown. For, I, first of all, you would know more about the Jalen Daniels situation than any of us would. Is Is Jalen on track to play this weekend? Yeah, that's that's been the big story for, for both of us this week, I'm sure. So, I am of the opinion that he's not, okay. but um, it has been kept a secret like Fort Knox. I mean, they are <laughs> they're doing everything they can over here to, to make sure that doesn't get out. Now, I, here, here's why I don't think he's going to play and that it will be Jason Bean. So first of all, this week at media availability, they bring out players and whatnot, and the quarterback they brought out was Jason Bean. Now, we do have to mention, like, how much of this is – media warfare as I call it mm -hmm. where you know coaches might say something to the media to try to get another coach to maybe overly prepare or, or think about something else um, so it, it could just be a distraction it could just be to try to get Oklahoma State to prepare for Jason Bean and then Jalen Daniels plays but the other part of it is I don't think KU has announced a, a sellout just yet they've sold out the last couple games um, and maybe they're trending towards selling out by by the time tomorrow or or Saturday or whatnot anyway but I would just think if you haven't sold out yet, if you announce Jalen Daniels is back, those tickets are going to sell out. So 
Uh, it's not perfect reasoning. We haven't been given a ton one way or another. Uh, I just I am kind of under the assumption it'll be Jason Bean, but it wouldn't be utterly shocking still if it was Jalen Daniels. Media warfare, I like that term, and we've already seen a little bit of that, right, when the initial kind of tweet went out about, hey, I'm hearing this about the the uh, injury, and next thing you know, there was Jalen Daniels like in the head coach's office, and they were tweeting out different pictures and things like this. So we've already seen some elements of that in the past. I, I like the term media warfare for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and and who knows? I know you know Mike Gundy said earlier this week that Spencer Sanders not going to practice. We hope to have him back for the game. Like that could be the same thing. Maybe it's something where Spencer Sanders has no shot of playing, and he's just trying to get KU to prepare for a more mobile quarterback than Gunder Gundy, or maybe he actually is going to be back Saturday. It's just it's so hard to tell. Like you see the Oklahoma game against Texas, where Dylan Gabriel's warming up, but he doesn't actually play. There's there's so much that goes into it beyond actually what is going to happen. It seems. So coming off of a bye week, uh, which I get the sense that they desperately needed uh, for a variety of different things, uh, I've seen them talking about how, you know, like Lonnie Phelps Jr. talking about, hey, trying to get our bodies back right. My main question from them defensively from Kansas' perspective is, is that um, they've been I don't exposed is the wrong term. They just haven't played as well here during Big 12 conference play. Oklahoma State's kind of in a little bit of a position that as well, but where is this Kansas uh, Kansas team at defensively right now? That's been the biggest struggle for them. And last season, they were one of the worst run defenses in the country. They were certainly the worst run defense among Power 5 teams, gave up over six yards a carry. And that was something that seemed to be kind of fixed over the first five or six games of the season. Even in the TCU game, like, that being a really good running offense, they gave up around four and a half yards per carry, but they were well under four yards per carry on, on the season the last couple games. And then against Oklahoma, they ran for like 300 yards. Uh, it kind of got added in the Baylor game. They ran all over Kansas. That's going to be the key this week to see where they're at with that because, again, you go from being so bad last year to all of a sudden seeming like it's turning around and now maybe hitting a, a bit of a rough patch. Uh, certainly the bye week will help with some injuries. Lonnie Phelps, who's the best player on the defensive line for KU, he was banged up uh, for the last couple weeks. The Oklahoma game, he only played 15 snaps. He kind of dealt with the injury for the game against Baylor. So maybe he'll be freshened up and and ready to go. But uh, that's going to kind of be the biggest thing, what they can do run defense-wise, because that was the biggest turn. As far as the secondary, they've given up a lot of big plays this year. Some of that is, I, I guess, a little bit that, you know, they'll, they'll sometimes leave guys on an island on, on the outside to try to make plays uh, like Kobe Bryant, which I don't know if he'll be back or not because he was injured as well, who's kind of one of those guys who's feast or famine. Like he'll get a big pick, he might get a pick six, and then he might give up a 30-yard pass the other way. So uh, the defense gave up over 40 points per game last year. The fact that they've turned it around this much statistically is, is a credit to, to how much they have added with the transfer portal and growth of certain guys. But I think the past couple of weeks has been kind of a reminder that you can improve from one year to the next, but it's really hard to go from being one of the worst defenses in college football to all of a sudden like a top half one in the Big 12. It's almost like you have to readjust uh, what your expectations are. And, and like you just said, it's one thing to improve, and it's crazy how much that they actually have done that so far, but... Uh, in a weird way, it's hard to convince like a fan base of baby steps, right? But 
Like you, you have to take stock in how much they've already come without setting an expectation level that is you, you're just not able to accomplish at all. Exactly. And, you know, have gotten better in a lot of regards. Um, blew by already their, their sack and, and tackle for loss numbers from a season ago. They have a lot better skill. They have a lot more depth uh, in the overall room. I mean, something we were talking about before the season was that, you know, you could argue that the backups this year on, on this Kansas defense are better than others were a season ago. They brought in all sorts of transfer talent from other schools and guys just getting a, another year older in the system and whatnot. So it is better than last year. But, you know, the, the past couple games against Oklahoma and Baylor has, has kind of been a swift reminder that, yeah, even though they have improved, like this still might be the worst defense in the Big 12. Well, and the good thing is uh, for them, even if they've been bad against the run, Oklahoma State's not just lighting the world on fire uh, right now with their running game at all. Uh, how much has this you know, start, how much has it been diminished because of some of the results here over the last couple of weeks, uh, just in terms of general like energy, environment, and uh, like looking at the future? Has it, has it waned any there in Kansas? It definitely hasn't done anything to the future. Um, I'm interested to see what the crowd's going to be like this week. They hadn't had back-to-back sellouts in over a decade, but but they got that done earlier this year. This is their first game back in, in about a month at home, so we'll see that kind of the short-term stuff. It's interesting because with where Kansas has been, it's it's such a different evaluation of everything. I mean, they already have, have won more games than any season since 2009. Um after Mark Bangino was, was let go from the team, the most wins they've had since then is three. So they've already gotten past that. And so from kind of the long-term perspective, it's this overriding thought of, well, no matter what, the arrow is pointed up from, from last year and in seasons past moving forward. But certainly when you get to five wins and you're one away from bowl, con- from a bowl game and you're in a situation where the last time you were 5-0, and oh, you finished 5-7, and seven, there is a little bit of angst every time you do lose a game moving forward. And the Baylor first half, when they got down 28-3, to I think really started to represent the start of that angst. And, you know, every game they go from here where they lose and you get closer to, to missing out on that opportunity to get that sixth win, which would be so crucial for this team, not just because they haven't played in a bowl for a while, but to get those extra practices for some of their young players and whatnot, is just going to create more compounded pressure, which is weird for a team who's typically the underdog and whatnot. So there, there isn't like a, a ton of work. Overall, there's very much pleasure with how the, the season has gone for KU. But the more these losses start to stack together, and albeit, I will say, you know, they, every team they've played this season, they have done better against than they did last season, except for TCU. Last year they lost to TCU by three, this year by seven. But this year's TCU team is a lot better than last year. So realistically, every score of a team they played last year has been a either win for KU or a closer score. So everything is pointed in the right direction. But certainly that one extra win feels like there's a lot of pressure to get it. And every week you go where you don't, it just mounts up. Derek Johnson is our guest here on the Blitz 1170 Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Um, and thank you to him for, for joining us, part of the uh, Locked on Jayhawks podcast as well. Um, I, they definitely have everyone's attention, right, in the league. You can't go any week at all without the opposing head coach 
And it's not just pleasantries, right, which is, it's had to be sometimes in the past. It's, no, they have our full attention. We know how improved that they are. So they do have people's attention within the conference. Yeah, I know uh, Lance Leipold, the head coach for Kansas, has, has talked about this, that sometimes at the pregame meetings when the coaches meet at, at the middle of the field and everything, he's had coaches come up to him and, and talk to him about how, you know, it, it's no longer in the Big 12. You just have kind of the one cellar dweller. Like you, you go into every game and you guys play so tough that now every single game you play in the Big 12 feels like a winnable game and it also feels like a losable game. And it certainly makes the, the conference very interesting uh, from game in, game out. And that's the, you know, maybe the biggest feather in the cap for Kansas this year. They haven't been blown out in a game, which, you know, by now usually we're, we're used to seeing that several times over the course of the season. So uh, it, it's certainly a big difference for, for both the conference in, in making it a lot more competitive and for Kansas, and, and it seems like a lot of the coaches have seen that and, and respected that and echoed that to, to some of the Kansas staff. Last one I have for you. How has Jason Bean played here uh, over this stretch? Now, it's been, a, it's been a while, right, since since the Oklahoma game, and a lot of our attention has been focused there, but how has he played since then? Yeah, so uh, obviously comes in second half against TCU, uh, puts up over four touchdowns to the one interception, and then against Oklahoma, four more touchdowns. Uh, against Baylor, it was kind of a tale of two halves. KU had three and out after three and out turnovers in the first half. They get down 28-3. to three. Second half, he was really good, helps him put up over 20 points. You look at the stats, and he's been really efficient. And if we're looking big picture and you're saying, this is what you're going to get from your backup quarterback, you take it every day of the week. He's been stupendous from that standpoint. There is still – Uh, A good amount of time, though, where you notice the difference between Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean. So Jason Bean is is one of the fastest players on the team. I mean, he might actually be the fastest. A former All-State kid in track in Texas, uh, he legitimately might be the fastest player on the team. But what Kansas was doing really well early in the season was running this kind of spread triple option look. And Jalen Daniels was so good at engineering it. The offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnik, he said he had the vision of a running back. He was good at breaking tackles. He had a lot of speed, just not as much as Jason Bean. And so when Jason Bean took over, it was this idea of, oh, well, now the the triple option game could be even better because you have a faster guy in there. But Jason Bean isn't someone who likes to take hits. You'll see that a lot. Um, He's not someone who will break many tackles. And it's just, it's not the same vision as Jalen Daniels. And the biggest difference between the two has been kind of the, the term processing. Like Jalen Daniels processes the game very well. He sees the blitzes coming. He makes reads really well, whether it's in the passing game or in the option game of knowing who to give it to, when to pitch it, stuff like that. Jason means struggles sometimes with the processing. He might get locked on on a receiver. He struggles in the read option game with knowing when to give it off, when to take it. So there are certain small things that the floor – with Jalen Daniels is higher than it is with Jason Bean. But we also see some big highlight plays because Jason Bean throws a really good deep ball. It's very catchable. He's got a strong arm. He has that speed. The ceiling is just as high. It's just you're going to have some moments like the TCU game. They have a second or third and ten on the drive. They're trying to tie the game in in the final couple minutes. And he misses on the TCU around 40-yard line just a little flat route to the running back running out to his side. Just a very easy completion, and nobody was on him. If, if he, I mean, it's, it's clearly a first down if he gets that ball to the running back. 
it might even be a touchdown at that point because nobody was near him on the play. It's little things like that that he might miss to where the floor is a little bit lower, even though the ceiling is really there. But again, big picture for your backup quarterback, he's been outstanding. Derek, good stuff, man. I appreciate you jumping on with us here in Tulsa. We'll have the game for everyone right here on your home for the Cowboys, the Blitz 1170, 1230 with the tailgate show. Uh, Derek, have a great rest of your day, man, and uh, look forward to doing this again soon sometime. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. That is uh, Derek Johnson again joining us via the Oklahoma Ford Dealers hotline here on the Blitz 1170. Let's take a timeout. We'll come back. We're going to chat a little Tulane coming up at the bottom of the hour. Lots of uh, excitement or lack thereof, according to the local media, because <laughs> I'm going to play something for you that happened in the local media. And it it's intriguing because Tulane, much like Tulsa will fight the uphill battle every single time when it comes to coverage. But uh, my response to what I heard from a television station was yikes. Really? Not a not a good feeling at all when uh, a local TV station is kind of calling you out. So we'll get into that in a little bit more when we come back next year on the Blitz 1170. Don't forget, out at the Lodge of Catoosa, tomorrow between 1 and 6 with Miller Lite with a chance for you to win Dallas Cowboys tickets as they host the Giants on Thanksgiving. Again, tomorrow, 1 to 6 at the Lodge in Catoosa here on the Blitz 1170.